I'm Bob Eskenazi. I'm a covenant partner. I had to write that down so I'd remember that. <laughs> Today we uh, continue our series, From Ruin to Restoration, arriving at chapter 54 of the book of Isaiah. In it, uh, prior to this, Isaiah has told us about uh, a servant, a servant who would bring us salvation, Christ, and how through, that through his suffering, through Christ's suffering, we are to be healed. We pick up in the text today in a call to rejoice and to recognize God's faithfulness to his word and trusting in his covenantal promises. So open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, verses uh, 1 through 10. They're on page 730. In the Bibles, uh, they're um, in your chairs. Of course, you can follow along in your own Bible or on the screens behind me. The word of the Lord. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, the, the word of our God stands forever. forever. Amen. <clears throat> My boy. Thank you, Bob. All right. <clears throat> Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. I'm excited uh, to be here with you this morning, uh, and I add to the greetings of those you have already heard. Um, man, what an exciting time uh, to be a part of the life of our church, and especially in the sermon series that we're in, as we continue to talk uh, from ruin to restoration, one that is uh, applicable to, I think, every stage of life. Last week, um, Mitchell went in to talk about oh, how beautiful are the feet. 
And I sat there and I was like, man, praise God. And I don't know if the Lord was talking about my feet because they crusty. Praise God. I was uh, got that offensive lineman feet. You know what I mean? Sometimes when you play football, your feet are them cleats. But thanks be to God, it doesn't matter what they look like, right? It's the heart behind it. We talked about that in our uh, sermon series on Sunday nights, uh, especially in particularly in the moment of Ruth and Boaz, that you would never have Ruth and Boaz if you didn't have Ruth and Naomi and the heart behind it. And the moment that Naomi was in a moment of ruin and through Boaz and through the faithfulness and the love of, of, of Ruth for Naomi, you saw restoration because Boaz became the redeemer. These stories are very prominent and beautiful and they're reflected all throughout life. Uh, and particularly for me, uh, you see small portions of these grand stories um, throughout media and also in movies. And I'm a big movie guy. For those of you that don't know, I love going to the movies. And I love watching movies. I love popcorn, praise God. I love me some good ice cream, right? Chocolate chip cookie dough, come find me, holla at me, right? Uh, and by the way, if you go to the youth auction, you'll see I created a basket on behalf of the college ministry, which has 30 of the greatest hits uh, and that won the Golden Globe or award or whatever, why not? Go bid on it. Um, yeah, do that. But uh, being a great movie guy, as I was writing the sermon and I was thinking about Lord... Um, Man, he's showing me all these things. Something came to mind uh, with a movie I once watched. There's a movie called Coach Carter. I don't know if you've ever watched this movie, but Coach Carter is a movie about a, a basketball coach that comes back to his former high school, a high school that was once so prominent in the game of basketball, yet through time, it just dwindled away. And so this coach comes back to his alma mater and decides to coach these young men, young men that were so taken back by his need of discipline and authority and respect, that they were shocked by it. Uh, and there are some power scenes in this movie, and one figure sticks out. His name is Timo Cruz. Uh, uh, he, who, he was not only shaped throughout the entire movie because he was perplexed by the order and discipline, uh, but he continued to push back. And the coach would continue to ask him, as he would challenge him and call him to rise up, what is your deepest fear as he shepherded him? As she, and the team. Uh, in this passage, the question comes up in mind that as we, as we navigate from ruin to restoration, we ask uh, not just for the people of Israel, but also for ourselves. Our question is, what is your deepest fear? The end quote in the movie, he goes on to say, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure, that it is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. He closes this quote by saying, as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Though this is an amazing quote, this is just but a portion and a small reflection of the grand scheme of God's redemption, God's power. And as we jump into Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 10, we see this. And so I have three points for you um, this will be, that we'll be touching on. is God's peace in circumstance, God's peace in relationship, and God's peace in his covenant. So as you are there, stay uh, with your Bibles open because we're going to be reading it from a ton, from a lot. So we're going to go into re restoration of God's peace in circumstances. So join me as we enter the word again. Verses one through three, it says, sing O, barren one who do not, uh, sing, O barren one who do not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. 
For the children of, Desol- of the Desolon will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will, and will people the desolate cities. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth of who you are. As we dive into your word, we pray that we would instill it in our hearts, that we would not walk out the same individuals that when we first walked in. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's children said, amen. Amen. So we see Isaiah beginning this chapter in a moment of praise. He calls Israel to rejoice. Uh, He calls Israel to rejoice. And why? And this is because in chapter 53, we are seeing, we're given a prophecy, right? Uh, And the prophecy that would shake the foundations of Israel uh, and that they would be th- that would think that not only it was true, but it was a God moment, a but God moment. In Isaiah 53, uh, the whole portion actually starts in, in 52, and it starts out with, behold my servant. But in 53, it goes on to describe the servant. And in verses 53, verses 3 through 5, uh, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and one whom men hid their face, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Sounds like someone we know. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God by affliction, uh, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What an amazing text to hear. Especially if you're in the midst of ruin, you're told that someone is coming. And it is by him being crushed that you are made whole. And it is by his, his lacerations, his hurts, his pains that you are healed. It is no wonder why in chapter 54 we start out saying, rejoice, O Israel. And that is my, 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 my encouragement to you this morning. Rejoice, church. Because our God has responded to our ruin. So he goes on uh, in verses, so chapter, uh, for verses one through three, uh, the first point you see is that you were once barren and now you are fecund, right? Fecund. Bob, uh, Bob Eskenazi, the guy I just read, praise God, uh, he was telling me about this word because I was like, man, I was working this sermon through him. He was like, you know, this is a very interesting word. You should use it. You'll sound really smart. And I think I do. Praise God. So thank you, Bob, for that. A uh, couple points for me. Let's go. Uh, but <laughs> in these first three verses, you see, uh, again, it starts off, sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. You were barren. The people of Israel was barren. Zion is perceived to have been barren, and this is a response to the relationship with God and his people. The favor of the Lord seems to have left Israel and left it in a shameful state. This is also a callback, again, to the barrenness, uh, to this call that Abraham and Sarah had, uh, who thought that they were promised, uh, that Abraham thought he was promised to be the father of many nations, yet he was left without child for so long. 
And we remember that, that text and that part of scripture where Abraham could not do anything else but to look at his circumstance. And they, he got scared and he got fearful. He, he, he had anxiety. Does that sound like anybody else in this room where we look at our, the situations of our circumstance and we sit there and we're like, Lord, how? How will you bring me out of this? How will you bring life through this? And in this callback, you continue to see not only that, that he was at this situation, but God actually took him out and said what? Come on out and look out to the heavens. Do you see the stars? Can you count them? Could you count them? Just as much as there are stars in the sky, so your people will be there. So we, we go from barrenness to being fecund, being fruitful. Verses 2 through 3, enlarge, your, enlarge the place of your tents. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess nations and, the peop- and will people the desolate cities. But in the same way that Lord has taken Abraham's eyes off of his circumstance, right? He was looking at his circumstance and he said, go outside and look out into the stars. In the very same way God has shifted Abraham's circumstance, God is doing the same thing here. And the Lord, because of his faithfulness, it was considered righteousness to Abraham. Because he believed that God, the God of the universe, is able to follow through on what he said he was going to do. Church, do you believe God will follow through on on what he said he's going to do? Because he continues to display it over and over and over again throughout scripture. So that's the first point. My promise, uh, my hope is that you would have peace in your circumstance, that you were not alone, that this is not the end of your road. That God has a plan and he's shaping you and molding you into something beautiful. The second point is restoration of God's peace and relationship in this text. You see this in verses 4 through 8. And it starts out in verse 5. You actually understand the tempo of the language. See in verse 5, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth. The God of the whole earth. He is called. This section, the Lord uses relational language as a husband and wife, and this will dominate the rest of the text, uh, and it is appropriate due to the need to picture, to paint the picture of the relationship between God and his people, an intimate relationship. And so when we first start out in, verses, in verse 4, you see the consequences of Israel's action, which brought about shame and disgrace. Follow me in verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Uh, be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband again. Uh, the Lord of hosts is his name. So he goes on and addresses this sense of shame. Many people place shame in such regard. And in Isaiah, he looks back to reference this. We see the shame of his youth in verse 4, right? It says, you will forget the shame of your youth. This is a possible reference for the time of Egypt surrounding, uh, and surrounding those periods. The reason why we were able to say this is because in the book of Hosea, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, he also calls back on this. It says, uh, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 11 of Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, 
The more they were called, the more they what? Went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burnt offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk and took them to, by their arms. And they did not know that I had healed them. Again, God is doing something immeasurably beautiful in this portion. And he's telling you, I'm taking you away from looking from your youth. We're moving on from that. You are maturing, right? We also see this in the disgrace of widowhood presented. Again, in verse 4, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. This is a perceived absolute abandonment or separation between God and his people. But we have to remind ourselves that who was the one that really walked away? It was us. And I don't know if we wrestle with that now. But sometimes I don't, I don't run to God when things go wrong. Sometimes I, I trust in my own strength or in my own mind or in my own connections. These are things that we wrestle with even to this day. When we ask, do I trust God? Can I fully trust God? And the, the blessing here is that, that God is reminding you, I am your husband. I love you. I will redeem you. I am the one. It's a beautiful picture. And then you also see the righteous response of God, verses 5 through 7. Again, we'll pick up in 6. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is, ca when she is cast off, says your Lord. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. I will gather you. You see, you see it becomes restored. You see, you have this response from God, and ultimately he completes his restoration in verse 8. In an overflow of anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with an everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The, in an overflow of anger for a brief moment, but with everlasting love, I have compassion, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is the same compassion, if it's, if it's translated from Hebrew to Greek, uh, it's the same uh, form of compassion word that, that the Lord Jesus used uh, in the New Testament, in Matthew. You actually, I don't know if you remember uh, a little while ago, and maybe it's a little bit more than a little while ago, but Bob had talked about the word splagizomai, right? This sense of, this, this gut-wrenching need of, of man, I'm, I'm coming to save you. I need you to understand, I love you, and I can't just sit back and watch you hurt. And in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38, again, you see it with Jesus' own words. Notice this language of restoration. And Jesus, throughout all the cities and villages, were teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming uh, the gospel and the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. What is that if not ruin? Going to restoration. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. Church, this is the very heart of ruin to restoration. And notice how even from Jesus, even to the time of, of Isaiah, his heart has never changed. And he is calling you, church. He is calling you to be the instrument of this hope, the instrument of this truth, the instrument of this gospel. He is calling out, man, I pray that laborers would rise up. 
that there would be peace, peace in the relationship and knowing secure that my God loves me, that, I didn't leave, that he didn't leave me, I left him. And thanks be to God, he is gracious and welcomes me back and stands there with open arms saying, come here, mijo, vente pa' acá, come here. I love you. Come here. I know, I know it hurts. I know you scraped your knee. I know you felt lonely. I know you, you felt like you were without. I know you felt probably abandoned. I know you probably felt inadequate. Pero vente pa' acá, come here. Your father loves you. And I want to be with you. Have peace in knowing that I love you and that I'm for you. In the end, he goes on to talking, restoring the peace in his covenant. He ends off this text of, of, of 1 through 10 in our text in a covenantal language. Uh, as we read the text of Isaiah, we see this language and we recognize it, knowing that he's calling back to things. Again, verses 9, follow me in 9. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has what? Compassion on you. Just like Noah. In a moment of complete ruin, God flooded the world, yet by grace, Mankind was given another chance. And when we understand the true state of ruinness of the world back then, we would know that the God of justice should have rightly had every, every opportunity to wipe us out. But God, he, remind, he reminds his people uh, through this text in Isaiah that he has not forgot his covenant that he made and that the rainbow still stands in the sky and will continue to be hung beautifully as a reminder of several things. And one is it for sure that our God is sovereign. Our God is compassionate. And our God is gracious. Church, I pray you would celebrate each time you see a rainbow in the sky. Because he was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. But more importantly, he was following through with his word. We also see this, my steadfast love and my covenant. In verse 10, the God, God the Father speaks through Isaiah and reminds the people um, that, he, that this wor- though this world may change, again, he, he says mountains and hills, right? For mountains may be, depart and hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. These things that would seem perceived as permanent would be moved. His steadfast love will last His covenant of peace shall not be removed. And you will see this later with Jesus speaking 100% clearly into this. In Mark chapter 13, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. But concerns for that later hour no one knows, or even angels angels in heaven, nor the Son, uh, but only the Father. Be on guard. Watch this now, church. This is Jesus speaking to you. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves from home and puts his servants in charge, each uh, with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. 
For you do not know when the master of the house will come in evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, say to all, stay awake. Church, my prayer is this, is that as we see ruin to restoration and as the musicians come forward and as we're about to worship and as we're about to come to this table to eat of this bread and drink of this cup to remind ourselves of what God has done and how he continues to do. Church, my prayer is that you would wake up. Wake up, church. You have come from ruin and you have been brought to restoration. You are no longer who you once were. You are defined by who you are now. And who are you now? You are a son and daughter of the living king. And my prayers is if you don't know him, my prayer is you would come talk, holla at me. I would love to tell you about this Jesus and my, my savior because in the moments of ruin, I don't know who to look to other than a redeemer and a restorer. Wake up, church. We see this completely fulfilled in Jesus, who is our ultimate redeemer. He is our savior. He is our Messiah. He is the anointed one who saves. He is the bridegroom, and he is the incarnate word. Church, my prayer is that you would have chills up and down your body to know he is the one that sends you, and he is the one that saves you and continues to do a good work in you. Believe this, that you would rejoice, O Israel, that there was one that he was, the, the, in his, it is in his stripes, in his pains, we are healed. Our God is alive. Brought from the ruin of a cross to take life, yet abundant life came out of. The kingdom is advancing. A ruin of once scattered is now brought together under one name above all their names, and that's Jesus. Our God is at work. Even from our brokenness, he makes things beautiful. You can look at the circumstances of your ruin, but I pray that you would trust in his plan and his time that he will bring restoration. And not a small restoration, church. You best believe he's coming for everything. He will fill the desires in your hearts to walk with you, our God is a promise keeper, hence the reason why we say what we say in the beginning of this. He keeps his word. The grass withers and flower fades, but what? The word of our God stands forever. He will follow through, church. And my prayer is that you would know that again, you are so loved and you would be so encouraged from this moment. That you would not look at the ruin, but that you would trust God that he's going to bring restoration what is your deepest fear? What is your deepest fear? My deepest fear is being away from the one that loved me first, from being away from my Savior. So therefore I ask, what is, again, the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I end with the fullness, the end, the final ruin of restoration. You see it in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And you hear a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he dwells with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe, what? Every tear from their eyes, and their old death 
will be no more. Neither will be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. Church, do you believe in this? Are you encouraged to go out and share this gospel? My prayer is this, is that you would not leave this place the same way you walked in, that you would be reminded constantly that our God has had compassion on us. He loves you. He restores you. He walks with you. And now you are commissioned to go share this news with others, church. It is an exciting time for us to know our Savior. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you're at work and you would con- that you continue to show us how in moments of ruin you bring true restoration, Father. But we ask that you would, you would enter into our hearts, that we would be bold to slay at your feet all of our anxieties and fears, that whether if we've been walking with you for years and decades or if we're still praying about taking our very first steps of knowing you, Lord, we thank you for this word that you call us, that that you say that you love us, that just as a bride, you are a bridegroom. You initiated it, Father. When I wasn't looking for you, you found me. You were looking for me. And I I give you thanks. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. And Lord, we pray that we would worship you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. People will come from the east and west and north and south to sit at table in the kingdom of God. My name is Reverend Scott Simpson, and I welcome you to this, the Lord's Table. Our Savior invites all who trust in him to share in this feast, which he has prepared. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Holy Lord, Father Almighty, everlasting, faithful God, great and wonderful are all your works. Your ways are just and true with our ancestors of old before us. We lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving. We give thanks to you, O God, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, before he suffered and died on the cross for our sins, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until his coming again. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to feed us with the bread of life. We thank you for inviting us to feast with him who died for us and who teaches us to serve each other with humility and love. O faithful God, show forth the glory of your presence now, of your life-giving word and Holy Spirit to sanctify and restore us and your whole church through this sacrament. Give your Holy Spirit now in the breaking of this bread so that we may be drawn together as one and joined to Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Whenever you eat of it, do this remembering me.
In the same way, he took a cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this remembering me. For each time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord Jesus until he comes again in his glory. And friends, he is coming again. We will celebrate communion this morning by intinction. There will be several stations up here. You'll be invited to come forward to one of those stations. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and receive it. The gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is ready.